0: Israel is a land of diverse cultures, religions, foods, music, and people. Join Benji Shulman for the next hour as he explores the devout and divine, the the off-the-wall and outrageous, and everything in between. Right here on 101.9 High FM. Now, a few weeks ago, when lockdown was only starting to not become a thing anymore, I had uh, the great opportunity to go a drive-in movie experience, which uh, was fantastic. Uh, I'm just about old enough to remember what a drive-in actually is, uh, and uh, it was a great experience. But even better than that was the fact that I got to watch a great South African documentary. Uh, it's called Influence, uh, and we have one of the directors online, Richard Poplack, to talk about it. Richard, thank you so much for joining us on Chai FM.
1: My pleasure, Benji. How
0: are you? I'm very, very well, thank you. Uh I'll start by asking you. Why did you decide to make a movie about Bell Pottinger? What inspired you to actually start digging into this?
1: Well, when I was working on the Gupta Leaks, I was part of the team that was assembled by Branko Burkic, my editor at Daily Maverick. Uh he assembled a team, as you recall, back in May twenty seventeen that comprised of Amabungani, uh a few reporters from News twenty four, and uh a team within Daily Maverick called Scorpio. Um Working away on the leaks and a colleague of mine who I'd worked with prior, prior to that, her name's Diane, uh, who, uh, pitched me on the idea of doing a documentary about Belle Pottinger. And her rationale was that, um, if they were doing the kind of work they were doing in South Africa, then imagine the sort of work they were doing in the rest of the world. And so we set out to kind of do a deep dive into what Belle Pottinger effectively was about with the understanding that they probably spoke to much larger trends that were uh, washing through the world at the time. Um, you know, humanity, one, one of humanity's Anasarabilis' is probably 2016, um, uh, where we fully came to understand uh, the nature and the power uh, of the post-truth era to spread discord, unhappiness, and uh, flat-out murder. Uh, across the world.
0: Now, the, 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 movie centers all around this character, Bell Pottinger, very, very famous in the advertising and PR world. Yeah. Uh, you, you actually got him to come and speak on the film. How, how did you do that? I mean, surely he must have understood that you, you guys were not doing a PR stunt for him.
1: Yeah. Well, the thing about Lord Tim Bell is that he is probably one of the most renowned spin doctors, uh, in the history of the dark art. Um, he came of age uh, in the 1970s, in the golden age of advertising in uh, in the U.K., and he started out um, – I mean, he became famous for helping to co-found, co-found Saatchi and Saatchi, which is uh, one of the great British advertising firms. Um, in 1979, he seconded onto uh, a campaign that Saatchi was doing for the Conservative Party he meets Margaret Thatcher they fall into a lifelong platonic love affair and he starts to develop the messaging uh for uh for conservatism going into the 1980s the 1990s and the 2000s um, through Thatcher he meets some of the most powerful and richest people in the world all over the world um, Saudis Malaysians South Africans um, Americans uh he even had he even uh, did a, a, a very short um uh, advisory stint on the Reagan campaign in 1980. And so he was a man very hooked into the, the conservative messaging machine. Um, and, uh, very early on in, in his career, he, he understood that he could manipulate members of the press in a very efficient way. So I, I think when he found me at his doorstep, uh, in, I think it was October or December of 19, of, of 2017, uh, he probably felt that he could he could spin me. Um, so I was sent by the production to London to go and track Lord Bell down, which I did. Uh, I was invited into his home. We had a cup of tea. I told him exactly what we planned to do and exactly how we planned to make this film. Uh, he said, okay. And uh, that's how it worked out. So I think he saw it as a game. I think he saw it as a means uh, to be able to spin the press one last time. Um, and that didn't quite work out in his favor, unfortunately.
0: Now, it's interesting you talk about the press. I see that Anton Harbour has just released a book about uh, the media under, uh, under under the state capture project, uh, yes. and we have almost a cottage industry now but of documentaries and books uh, mm. talking about, A, the corruption, but B, uh, how it was reported on. How do you see the film as maybe adding to to that particular discussion?
1: Well, when it comes to the discourse of how journalists and the media have behaved over the course of the last 30, 40 years, um, this is a little bit of a fraught, uh, conversation, obviously, because while we've done some amazing work, we've also done some terrible work. And what this film makes clear is that, um, early on in the second Thatcher campaign, Bell forged effectively a lifelong alliance with Rupert Murdoch from News Corp. And, uh, Bell is quite clear in the film when he says, um, Murdoch said, I I want Thatcher to win. Can you help? Um, And Bell effectively gave editorial advice, sometimes writing the editorials for for Rupert's publications. The other thing that Bell Pollinger did very well was co-opt journalists. um, And that was by saying, look, you've got a a story on one of my clients. It's a bad story. Put that story aside. Bury it. I'll give you a better story on someone else. So effectively they use stories as currency to undermine the work that we do in order to protect their clients. At the same time, you know it was great investigative reportage, the, the good leaks that ended up bringing Bell Pottinger down. So I, I think on one hand, we have to be very, very, very wary uh, in the media uh, about our alliances and our um, our relationships. With public relations companies and spin doctors, very often they're, they're they're extremely useful. Very often they bring us stories that otherwise we would not find. But at the end of the day, they work in their own interests, right? And so I, I think there's this very fraught and very dangerous relationship between uh, journalism and PR that this form certainly highlights. Um, and that if we look back to, I mean, Anton's book is uh, is an astonishing expose on how on how in some cases poorly and in some cases amazingly uh, South African media behaved over the course of the state capture era. We're
0: going to be talking a little bit more about that. We're speaking to Richard Poplack today. He is one of the directors of Influence, a documentary about Bell Pottinger. We're going to take a short break. We'll be back. This is the New Blue Review with Benji Shulman. We're talking to Richard Poplack today about a new film called Influence, uh, all about Bell Pottinger and the State Capture Project. If you want to ask any questions, please, you can SMS us, 34519 or, uh, send us a telegram on 0618951019. You can certainly have a chat about that. Uh, Richard, I mean, we focus on the, the traditional media a little bit, but it strikes me kind of as ironic that on the one hand, one of the reasons that, uh, Pottinger was so effective in South Africa was the messaging of white monopoly capital that was spread on Twitter, but it was the same platform that in the end also helped to undermine uh, the ability of that message to, to, to get across. What do you think this tells us about where the gaps are in our South African system and maybe where the strengths are as well, that, that, you know, there was, that we were so easily taken by that narrative, but at the same time, we we were eventually able to fight back in,
1: in some way. Absolutely. Well, look, you know, in every great propaganda campaign, there is always a grain of truth. And the grain of truth in the white monopoly capital campaign is obviously that um, a lot of wealth in this country resides with uh, the white community, uh, with white, white-owned, white white-run financial institutions. And at the same time, there hasn't been an effective means of, of redistributing wealth in this country, and it's going on 26 years of democracy. So obviously that is upsetting. Obviously that is a... Um, it is a fault line in our society that is ripe for weaponizing. And that's exactly what Bell Pottinger did. And they understood that very well, and they understood our society very well. And they understood that if they wanted to run an interference campaign for their clients and uh, also for the Zuma family, uh, th- then, they, then they understood a very good way to do that is along racial lines. You don't, you don't need to be a genius to figure that one out. Um, but unfortunately for them, what they did was run a very clunky campaign. And this is a warning to anyone, I think, who uh, decides to weaponize a a social media campaign uh, for either good or evil. You have to be very, very, very good at it. And it's very, very hard to do. Um, Mostly because there is um, a a sense, I I think, within communities of the fact that we're being manipulated. So while the, the, the messaging and the discourse... Uh, that the white monopoly capital campaign injected into our society remains. It remains because the fault lines in our society remain. The Twitter campaign itself was actually very badly managed. And I think when South Africans saw that and understood that, we were able to figure out a way to fight back very effectively and use um, the same tools that Bell Pottinger were using against us to destroy them. Um, you know I, I think it's rather ironic that they had to uh, cancel their tw- Twitter account uh remove themselves from social media and hire a PR company to run their own PR i think that that's that's pretty hilarious and it speaks to the danger of using social media uh, as a weapon in in very mediated societies like our own
0: Do you expect with things like the zondo commission uh other you know other books that are being written on it? As I said, there's literally now a whole genre of of, of corruption books that South African uh, journalists mm-hmm. and authors have been writing on. Do you think we, we, we're going to see more or do we kind of more or less know what happened now?
1: I think what's exciting about our society and how well um, – I mean, look, there's elements of the State Capture Project in which the media, in particular the Sunday Times, were complicit and colluding. With very very bad actors in order to destroy our government effectively and bring and bring down um, the institutions that uh, are essential to, to to upholding any democracy. So I think we can both agree, um, and and I'm sure your listeners would agree with us when we say that um, particularly the, the Sunday Times were enormously dangerous in laundering uh, bad information. Misinformation, weaponized information and undermining and trying to undermine, uh, our, our democratic institutions in this country. The flip side is that along with the Zondo Commission, uh, the Gupta leaks laid bare exactly how the state capture machine functioned. Effectively, we could see that there were actors, factions within the African National Congress, bad actors within government, colluding with blue-chip multinational corporations in order to effectively fleece the state. So the Gupta leaks, in my estimation, can be appended to the Paradise Papers, the Panama Papers, most recently the FinCEN Papers, all these big leaks of information that show us how the world actually functions. And that is that there are elements within national governments which collude with elements within multinational corporations order to steal taxpayers blind and undermine democratic institutions so in answer to your question Benji, we we now know exactly how the world works um, that said i think there's some very interesting specifics that still need to be passed and i think there's still lots and lots of uh, information that still needs to be uh, expunged uh from from the vaults i think we learn something new in the zondo commission every day uh and what we learn is that there really is no bottom to the cravenness, uh, the rapaciousness, and the awfulness of people who try to undermine state institutions and democracy. Let's move away from
0: the actual meat of the documentary for a moment and actually just talk about the making of it. Uh, I noticed that you had a sort of Canadian partner in making it. Uh, You obviously had to get hold of people. It's not cheap to make a documentary, not easy in a South African context. Tell us a little bit about what that process was like uh, to get the buy-in that you needed to do something like this.
1: Yeah, it was an extremely complicated process. Um, filmmaking is an industrial art form. It's very, very expensive. And we don't really have the resources here in South Africa, unfortunately, to fund a documentary uh, of the scale of influence, which, uh, which has a relatively high budget. So, yeah, it was, you know, it was complicated. It's complicated putting co-productions together. Uh, it's complicated working with people who aren't South African on a project like this one. Because they don't really understand uh corruption in the same way we do. So it was uh it was it was uh you know, it was a difficult process, but we have very good producers. Um Bob Moore in Canada, um Neil Brunt here in South Africa, and so they managed the process very, very well, um and, and sort of were able to smooth over the complexities quite nicely. And what has been the
0: reaction of the film, uh, you know, around the world? It, it sort of took a long time, actually, to be shown in South Africa. It's been shown all over the world. You guys mm. have gotten some awards for it, uh, but it actually took a while to get here. So so you sort of had an international audience look at this thing before uh, before it actually got into South Africa. So what has, what has actually been the response to people? Because it is kind of a specific thing, you know, if you don't know who Zuma is or who... Uh, you know, some of the background of the South African story, it, it, you know, it does take a little bit of getting into if you don't have that background. So I'm interested in how, um, uh, I'm interested in how international audiences
1: have reacted. Yeah, I'd actually dispute that a bit, Benji. I think what, what was astonishing about, especially showing it, uh, for the first time, uh, at Sundance where it premiered in January, uh, was how responsive American audiences were to this film. I think they saw corollaries between our experience and their experience and understood that there were um, transferable lessons from what we underwent during the state capture era to what they're undergoing now with uh, with an enormously corrupt uh, uh, Trump administration. So, um, you you know, many of the questions were, tell us what to do. You know, and and neither Diana uh, or or myself are, you know, I can't tell Americans how to fix their country. But I can certainly point out that the fault lines that... um, pertain in our society. These massive inequities between the rich and the poor are are paralleled in American society. And when you have those inequities and you have those inequalities, you will always have a space for people like Bell Pottinger to do their work. And so I think everywhere the film has shown, and I, I believe it's now played in 20 festivals worldwide. So we're going on 20 countries at this stage, maybe more. Everybody understands that, that there are versions of Bell Pottinger, versions of the white monopoly capital message working in their own societies. And that the lesson I think that the film sort of tries to teach is the fact that never mind the weapons that are being used to divide us. If the equi- if the inequities are so vast, then there will always be gap for Bell Pottinger's.
0: You, we're speaking to uh, Richard Poplack today about his film influence uh, and just getting a sense about uh, about the film and about how it is being received. Uh, I I'm, was I'm also interested, you know, uh, Richard, you kind of give a bit of a history of, in a sense, the, what would we call it, the industrialization of democracy. Uh, mm. You know, it's uh, in the, you, you, you go back into the early 90s when people were first starting to, uh, get involved with winning and messaging. You you um, speak to Cambridge Analytica, who of course were very famous around the Trump campaign, as you say. Uh, do, do you think that the uh, you know democracy uh, is 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 almost it, it, struggling with the, the the fourth industrial revolution? The, the fact that you have technologies, you have these lots of money, you have highly paid professionals who are able to 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 put messages in. It, it, it does seem to be it's not quite the same. Kind of, you know, on the stump, uh, talking to an audience and moving on to the next ca- town kind of thing.
1: No, you're 100% right. And I think I'd go one step further and I'd say democracy, democracy is struggling with capitalism. Effectively, what we, one of the theses in, in the film that we try to prove, uh, dates back to 1994 and our election here in South Africa. Uh, now what a lot of people don't know is that Lord Bell was here. In '94, and he was actually running the campaign for the National Party. Uh, he was working for FW de Klerk. And a lot of people see the 1994 election as this miracle election in which uh, you know white and black were brought together, and the African National Congress was able to to, to win uh, win an election. And uh, um, you, you know we see it a little bit differently. The miracle is that the National Party, okay, were able to get over 20 percent of the vote and that's extraordinary it's like the nazi party winning uh you know winning 20 percent of the vote after world war Two in germany it's insane right and i don't think we process process this in south africa but what 94 was able to do was show people like lord bell and show other actors who were working on campaigns like the south africa campaign that democracy was just another commodity that you could come in run an election effectively by political parties and then use the influence that you gained with political parties to run uh, to effectively run money through businesses uh, and contracts and tenders in countries all over the world. So while we could say that the 1990s ushered in this golden age of democracy, Diane and I would argue that that wasn't the case at all. What it taught people to do was that democracy was easily commodifiable was easily transformed into a business opportunity and was easily corrupted. And that's exactly what we're seeing today um, in countries all over the world, from Israel uh, to the, the United States to the U.K. here in South Africa. Um, our, our democratic processes are enormously corrupted uh, by flushing through of gargantuan amounts of money.
0: So what is it that you think we need to do to start fixing the system? I mean... Uh, the the, the democracies still do have uh, the ability for people to fight back, as we saw with the Bell Pottinger issue. But obviously, we've sustained enormous damage here in South Africa over the last mm-hmm. ten years. This kind of thing. Uh, so, so, what kind of elements can we learn about that that people at the very least need to be aware of when they when they're thinking about democratic institutions?
1: Well, I think the the, the, the answer is in your question, and that is that um, what we need to do is de-emphasize the role that elections play uh, in, in, in democracies. In other words, that while it's enormously important who is in charge of our governments, th- this notion of having a, an election here in South Africa every five years, in the United States every four years, um, or, or every two or three when you're looking at municipal elections uh, or, 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 uh, or, or other smaller electoral processes, the issue is that we focus on elections when effectively what you just said, we need to be awake all of the time. So I think there's uh, we need to revision how we understand the democratic process, de-emphasizing the role that elections play, certainly trying to ensure that there's less money washing into the system when those elections take place. But leaving that aside, we need to be more active on a daily basis, on a minute-by-minute basis, in how our democracies function. In other words... The price of freedom is vigilance. We, we have to be involved all of the time in myriad different ways. And I think that's exactly, um, what so many wiser democratic um, activists are understanding right now. And that, that, and that is that we need to be involved all the time. Effectively, we need to be active citizens on a day-to-day basis.
0: Now the film opened here at the Encounters Film Festival. Obviously, COVID must have been a bit of a nightmare to uh, in, in terms of the showings, uh, but, but are you planning to do more showings here in South Africa? Where can people see it?
1: Well, the film showed at Encounters, it showed at DIFF, uh, the Durban International Film Festival. It's just finished playing, I think, at the Garden Root, uh, festival in, um, in, in Nisner. Uh, all of those were online for obvious reasons. Uh, it's doing a small, it's, well, not a small run, it's doing a run at the Bioscope here in Johannesburg. And also at the Labia in Cape Town, so it's actually playing on the circuit right now. If you're brave enough to go to the cinema, it's uh, it's there for you, and you should be brave enough because they're very good at sanitizing and keeping everything safe. Uh, and then it will be broadcast on television within the next couple of months as well. Um, but uh, yeah, I urge your listener your listeners to go out and support Bioscope and Labia. Um, it's a fun time.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Richard, thank you so much for joining us uh, on the program today and good luck uh, for the marketing of the film and uh, you know, all the other points that I hope that it helps to raise and debate in our society.
1: Benji, thanks so much for having me on the show and thanks to your listeners.